You are listening to Making Mama Magic with honest and authentic conversations about all things related to modern motherhood, wholehearted living, and peaceful parenting. Join me and my guests in our chats about redefining motherhood and parenting in a way that focuses on purpose, peace, and presence while pursuing dreams in life, career, and business in our unique, magical way. I am your host, Eva, and I empower moms to parent with connection and curiosity and to own their confidence in motherhood. Hi, welcome to Making Mama Magic podcast. Today, I have the honor with me, Kira, to talk about this really interesting topic about shame and how does it got to do with our motherhood experience. So, Kira, welcome to Making Mama Magic Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Thank you so much for being here. Let us know more about yourself, like what is your work about and what do you do at Adversity Rising? Yeah, so I am a licensed mental health therapist. I have my master's degree in counseling psychology and my emphasis in my training program and kind of what I specialize in in the therapy room has been really focused on eating disorders, anxiety disorders, and trauma. Since I started, I've been working in mental health for many years prior to going back and getting my degree and things like that. And I kind of learned kind of the more I got deep into the weeds of the work I was doing, that everything was connecting to this term, shame, that I know we're going to talk about. But at the time, it really wasn't, I mean, and even now, people still don't really know what it is. There's a lot of confusion about it. We don't quite understand how deeply rooted and universal it is. So the more I got into my therapy practice, the more clients that I was seeing in the therapy room, the more I realized I'm, I'm specializing in shame. I'm trying to help people let go of the feeling that they are somehow less than and unworthy when they walk into a room and that they need to do something or look a certain way or be a certain way in order to be worthy. And so I would say that adversity rising really got built out of it's even the name is sort of this like rising out of our adversity and the trauma, the pain, the negative self-talk that we have and kind of finding ourselves rooting within that and moving forward. And so a lot of what I do now across the board is just promoting as much information around what shame is, how it's affecting us and what we can actually do versus what I call band-aid solutions, kind of, especially with moms, kind of all the stuff thrown at us of like, do these five things and you'll feel better. And we know that does not work that way. So how do we actually do work that's meaningful and sustainable and helps us live our best lives. Yeah, I love that you mentioned about sustainability because a lot of the things that we do as moms is about, you know, really on the ball. Like we see our kid doing this thing, we kind of like want to do something about it. But when it comes to us, sometimes we feel like we need to go for a massage or go for a long walk. It helps, but I think the sustainability of Knowing why it happens in terms of some of our experiences, I think it's really important to know the reasons behind it and do something about it that is sustainable. I'm just curious in terms of your definition of shame. Like, how do you define shame and how do you think this can impact in terms of our own experiences as mothers? 
Yeah. So I, I'm trained and I would say I identify as a cognitive behavioral therapist with a lot of caveats, although that's like a scary <laughs> answer, but we'll just kind of say it's rooted in cognitive behavioral therapy is this term core beliefs. I, I've heard it talked about now more as limiting beliefs kind of in popular culture, but the idea is that when you're born, our brains and our bodies, its sole purpose is to figure out how to function in the world. How do we have to show up? What's our place? What's this role that I'm supposed to play? How do I fit in? What we know over years of research is that human beings cannot survive without connection. Yes. So really connected to this desire to figure out how do I make sense of the world is this absolute need to figure out how I make sense of it and make sure that I fit into this world. And so from the time, you know, we're little, little humans. So for all of us thinking about our littles that we're working with right now, they are constantly watching the world as we did at their age. They're going, okay, so this person's treated this way when they act this way, when they dress this way, when they look this way. And we can see things like race, gender, sexuality informing it. But we also see things like, you know, the family system that you grew up in, the country of origin, whether or not you are in a country where you speak the primary language or not. Like there are all these different things that factor into our experience. Well, for 99.9% of the population, they develop a core belief that they are inherently not good enough or worthy unless fill in the blank. So it's, you know, if we look at, I live in the U.S. And so there's this, you have to be in a thin body. You should be white, cisgender, male, ideally. All these things that it's like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a check against me here, here, here. And then it's who's got A's versus C's in school. And what does that look like? And so you start to kind of cross off, wait a minute, I'm not good enough. And all of that starts to create this basis of fear. Mm. That is where I see shame coming in. So shame is that fear. Shame's the threat to connection and belonging. And what it does is I think about it kind of like a, like a sleazy used car salesman. That's like, if you just <laughs> listen to me, like, here's my rules, follow this, do this, you know, act this way, be this way. I mean, the yeah. number of times I wore clothes, I thought that were so stupid, but they were trendy. And if yeah. you just do this, you'll be okay. And so that becomes the base point of shame. And we've been doing it since we were two, three, four years old based on those experiences. So then when we become moms, I mean, we've been living this life. We've been performing for years as the one that can handle it all, do it all, be it all. And now you've got a kid based on obviously everybody's cultural experiences are different, but in most cultures, the dominant stress is on the mom. And so, and again, that is dependent on people's family dynamics and things like that. But that person that's in the primary caregiver role, which oftentimes with moms, they're going to feel it even more. So then shame comes in and it goes, oh, new situation, new place that you suck. Let me tell you how to make it better. And that all just starts to wear on us over time. Yeah, totally. I think like what you've mentioned about our own life experience. I, I live in Singapore, right? The culture that we have is still like what you've mentioned in terms of like, as a person, there's what I call like a checklist of things you need to achieve mm -hmm. in life. Like, you know, you, you get through school, you get a degree, you get a partner, you, you get married and have kids, not just one kid, more than one kid. Right. Uh, and, and in our situation, like in Singapore, when we have festive seasons, like Lunar New Year, because I'm Chinese. So like people always say, okay, you're married now, you know, when you're going to have a kid. Right. And, and I think it's, it's really about like 
culturally, there's a lot of things about uh, our identity, what we do, what we've achieved. It's really something that people want to talk about. Sometimes people tend to be more autopilot sometimes. So they, they see that, you know, as, as like the default, but they don't realize that that caused a lot of stress, shame, and resentment within themselves. So I think, especially for moms, because most moms want to be good mothers, right? They don't want to have yeah. like bad experience or being told that they are a bad mom. So it's really mm-hmm. about wanting to live up to the expectations. But I think um, pausing to understand like, why am I doing this? Why is, what does this matter to me as a parent? Why? Why is this important to me and my family and my partner? It takes very intentional effort. It takes a lot of uh, knowing who we are as a person as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing you said that's really key. So I, I love that differentiation between so the sort of checklist. Everybody gets one and it's just culture specific. And so thinking about it could be, you know, the community you're in, different aspects of your identity. And so then all of us sort of get inundated with, we got to get to the next step. So there's this hustle that gets created for us and it becomes about getting to a certain point and then things will be okay. But the marker is always moving, you know? So, okay, so you got through school and when's the the job and when are you getting partnered, when are you getting married, when are you having a kid, when are you having another kid, you know, and there's all these pieces. And so it's like, wait, wait a minute. So we start to condition ourselves to not know how to take that pause and not know how to be in the moment and to celebrate it. And then when you like think about, and this is where I think it gets dicey because a lot of people go, well, I do want to be a good mom because I love my kid and I care about my kid. And of course I'm going to do everything I can. The, the difference is at the end of the day, I screw up all the time as a parent. Mm-hmm. When my shame is leading the day, I can't let that go. I can't give myself grace and permission to be fallible to make a mistake to learn to let her down sometimes and know that my love for her is stronger than the mistake I made in the moment or the time that I maybe didn't handle it as well as I could and but on the days that my shame is not driving I can still feel those things of oh today I was not my best self like definitely missed the boat on a couple of these things today But I can find a sense of peace within that to know that I am not defined by those things. And I think that that's the sticking point is we just start to, it's a chase to get out of this hole that keeps seemingly getting bigger Mm -hmm. because we feel like we're never going to be enough. Yeah. You mentioned about defining ourselves. How do you think mothers can recognize that shame is not part of themselves and how do we help them to detach that what is the ways that you think would be useful then to them to kind of like start recognizing or be aware of yeah one of the first things i always tell people whenever they start this work is so there's a concept called radical acceptance which is accepting what's in your control and out of your control and learning to invest your time and energy in the things that you actually have power and control over well, the point with, with shame is to say this is an issue and everybody has it. This is a universal experience. And yeah. I think for moms in particular, it's starting off by saying, if you're walking in the room, not allowing yourself the possibility you have shame, you can't do any work to get through it. So then everything you're doing to, to feel better, to deal with X or to do Y, it's all abandoned. 
paid because you're not getting out of this root piece, which is this feeling like you are defined by your mistakes and you are defined by your failures and you're defined by all your inadequacies rather than saying, I'm a human that makes mistakes, has inadequacies, that's learning and growing all the time. And so I think part one is really owning that and saying, I have it. And that makes me human. And that in particular makes me a mom because a lot of moms are, they've been the person for everybody that holds everything for way too Mm -hmm. long. And so they are the one that their emotions have gotten pushed down to the bottom, sometimes out of necessity, sometimes just out of conditioning. So they've told themselves for years, you know, toughen up, you're fine, you're okay, you've got this, you can handle it, so you should absorb everything for everyone else. And so I think the second part starts to become realizing this sort of differentiation between the performance you and the real you. An example I'll give, I mean, I'm a therapist. I obviously love being there for people or I wouldn't do this professionally. And I believe in the power of that. I also don't want to be there for everybody all the time. But I used to have this belief, like I always had to be available for everybody. And mm. part of it is that differentiation between when it becomes an all or nothing rule, you have to do this, you can't do this. That is shame. Shame functions in absolutes. And so again, it's, I have shame. How am I performing? And what's the rule book that I have? And then you start to do kind of an experimentation of what would happen if I didn't believe that or yeah. hmm. I'm noticing I seem to be the only one that I hold myself accountable to that rule. Like if another mom, you know, yelled at their kid or lost their temper, I would understand that they're learning and sometimes momming is hard. You know, like if another mom had to bribe their kid to get out of the car, the only way to get them out was a cookie. I wouldn't judge them. I'd be like, man, that's a hard day. I get it. But if I did it, you know what I mean? And so I think part of it is to realize when the story is specific to you and the rules are specific to you, that is the opportunity to start to question it and to say, well, what would it look like if it was different? So I think I'm not totally giving them action steps. I know it's part of your question, but I think the action really starts with backing up to build insight and curiosity. And you can do that safely by saying, no, you have this. This isn't like you're weak if you do. It's you're human and you have this. Now let's figure out how to dismantle your system. Yeah, yeah. I love that you mentioned about curiosity because I think being curious is something that I hold readily in my own personal and also in my parenting life, which is the reason why I'm called a curious mama. Right. (laughs) um, It's through the comparison and looking at others that we feel lesser, but I think that is an opportunity for us to really pause and understand why we are thinking that Mm -hmm. way and is it something that is serving us or not? Because sometimes we get into that spiral of shame and guilt and blame whether is it towards ourselves or towards the people around us and I do have friends who are moms who tend to be like that what I notice is some of them they totally don't want to get out of the rut but one thing that I notice is they tend to be afraid to to be who they want to be for the fear of other people might judge them other people might think that they are a bit weird and that brings me to another thing about authenticity because I think shame authenticity to me it seems to be quite interrelated. What what do you think about mm-hmm. it in terms of well, the correlation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love kind of what you're pointing out is this idea of I call it the predictable crappiness. So a lot of people <laughs> we get comfortable in the fine life. And the idea behind it is 
I don't like this. I don't feel good in it, but I know it so I can function in it. And I think that there's a comfort in not feeling like you're going to get blindsided and that you're at least prepared for the pain or the crappy experiences. And so the idea is that if we've been living in shame for this long, we've been performing that long. So we don't know who we truly are. Or if we do, it's so deeply buried behind all these walls of performance. You don't have any data to support that showing that isn't going to lead directly to rejection, which is the whole thing you're fighting against to begin with is connection and to lose that sense of belonging. And there's a sort of protection too of, well, if I am pretending and I'm performing and that's not really me, when I do get rejected, it doesn't feel real in the same way because they don't really know me. So there's kind of a way that we, it all kind of comes together. And so I think authenticity isn't about, you know, there's a sense of becoming your true and authentic self and just like acting a certain way all the time. I think authenticity is really about allowing yourself to be in a state of constant discovery of who you are, what you like, what you don't like, because I think we can do the opposite where we go, I'm just going to be authentically me and I'm not going to care what anybody else thinks. That's not a real way to exist either because we do care what people think. We have values and our goals and who we are change all the time. So I think really the authenticity piece is to say, I'm going to work to get to know who I am and to start to understand when that performance comes out, why that's happening so I can show love and kindness to myself. And when it's happening with somebody else, I can be present in that authentic moment with somebody to just kind of show up and connect as humans from an emotional space. And so I think to answer your question, they they intersect a lot. And I I don't think it's that authenticity is the antidote to shame, but I think authenticity is this lifestyle of embodiment of sort of saying, who am I in this moment and how and in what ways can I allow it to show up fully or at least partially? Because that's more than we would do if we allow shame to drive the bus. Yeah, I think you already pointed out that, you know, authenticity, uh, it's it's a journey. It's not everyone can be 100% of who they are. I mean, it depends right. on different situations, different things that's happening in our life and right. things that, you know, sometimes we, we may not be fully authentic, but it's a journey. It's, it's about embracing who we are and, and just fully recognizing that, hey, you know, this is what it is, but <laughs> I can be kind to myself. I can be, I can show grace and compassion to myself and to other people. And yeah, I think authenticity is something that it's really a struggle for people. Like, especially I'm just sharing from a culture perspective, mm-hmm. like Asian culture as well, because there's a lot of parenting styles that's really focused on outwardly kind of achievements. And, you know, the common parenting style that a lot of people have here is like the tiger parenting style, where, you know, the genesis of parenting is to have the children achieve what they think is success in life uh, and, yeah. and what they right. think. Uh, they need to have to be good to their right. parents and to their family. So there's a lot of right. nuances around that. But I think basically it's about children are there to serve their family's uh, honor in that sense. I think it links to when they grow up, become moms, we want their children to be also like that. And they get very stressed because of cultural expectation. They right. see the necessity of being authentic. They think it's... You know, it's not relevant. It's just not something that they want to consider at all. Yeah. Right. 
Well, and I think it's become a very like individualistic culture and predominantly like an American dream sort of thing where it's like, well, that's just a very different lifestyle and belief system and all of these different things. But the point being that you can be authentic and still be a part of a collectivistic culture and community and still have that connection to family. I think one of the things that's really hard for people too, is to realize that, you know, if you go generations back, everyone's trying to do the best that they can for their kids. Yeah. What we see is that sometimes the scope of their traumas or their life experiences limits what they feel like they can their kids can and should do because they want to protect their kids from family or they want to protect their kids from, you know, again, X, Y, and Z. And so I think it's really making space to even say, you might still parent that way. You might still follow all these same things. You might still choose to do some of those things. You are allowed to explore where that came from without feeling like you're doing something wrong with that. And I think it's kind of allowing that curiosity around what was the thought for my parents and what were they trying to protect me from and mm-hmm. how can I give grace and space and flexibility to them and that and then sometimes it's learning forgiveness to the parents it's learning forgiveness to the world and the cultural experiences that you've had given where you grew up and those different things sometimes it's also then learning to grieve sometimes when being your true self you're either going to make a choice to hide a part of yourself sometimes And that's okay, because if you're making that choice out of a value setup of something with your family, something there, that's different from just doing it without exploration. So you're either grieving, maybe, okay, I'm not going to lean into certain parts of myself, or you're grieving the loss of the type of relationship that anybody wants with their parents, which is wanting your parents to be proud, wanting your parents to support you. And so I think some of this shame work, that's why it's really tricky, is we're asking people to make hard choices where both sides have loss. And sometimes that's where the performance feels safer because there's a distance from the emotion in a way where one, we can blame it on external factors. And yet at the same time, we're blaming ourselves for everything. So it's this weird dichotomy of blame, but it feels somehow a little bit safer at times. And so I think that is the catch. Like authenticity is not this like beautiful rose tinted lenses, authenticity is a really hard dissection of life and realizing that life is an accumulation of really painful decisions that we make that we're just trying to understand the world and show up in our values every day. Yeah, I love that you mentioned about intergenerational trauma. As I go along my own parenting and my learning and and talking to other people, I realized that that's something that very real that (laughs) we as mothers and parents need to be mindful about. For me, I've come a journey as well. When I first became a parent, I realized that I was grieving a lot in terms of my own relationship with my mother because there was a lot of questions in my mind like, I wish that she has done this. I wish that she has been more aware about this. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that was a bit dicey because while I was grieving that relationship that I can have as a child, and even now as an adult, and I'm also trying to figure out what kind of parent I want to be. So there was a mm-hmm. lot of things that was going in my mind. I think a lot of mothers do experience that as well based on my conversations with them. It's really challenging because that, that ties into also how we choose parent and, you know, how we want mm-hmm. to, what they call, break the cycle in that sense. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we do have some beliefs and thoughts that doesn't, really aligns to what we value as a person, as a mother mm-hmm. anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky. Yeah. I think one of the things that often happens is that, and we, I mean, we see this for so many of us who say, well, I'm never going to do what my dad did, or I'm never going to do what my mom's did, or I'm never going to do what, you know, my aunt did or my grandma did or whoever their caregiver was that they had this experience or on the flip side, it's, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be this same person. I want to create this same sense of connection. And I think so much about that is about trying to deal with our own grief or our own love and our own sense of connection. And I think one thing that I, I have a lot of hard conversations with people around, especially I think the point you made of feeling some questioning, feeling some grief about maybe what you didn't get with your mom is knowing that we can't solve our pain through our relationship with our kids. Mm. And so there's this really weird piece of saying, you know, again, the authenticity piece rather than kind of allowing shame to come in, because then if you didn't do it, like, let's say that your kids get older and then they have grief and they have pain and they have regret. Well, that's going to compound your shame because you were supposed to do something different. You were supposed to make it be a certain way. Yeah. And so instead you say, what does it look like for me to grieve and to forgive my mom? And, and as someone who's had a very similar thing too, of feeling like I didn't get the childhood. I feel like I wanted or deserved. And I had a lot of trauma. I was very much a parentified child. I lost out on a lot of things that I felt like I should have and deserve to have. And so I've had to work on knowing that I can't make up for my pain with Everly, with my daughter. I have to instead feel that pain fully, grieve that fully, and then make a decision about what I'm going to carry with me in that. Because if I make choices about how I parent based on that, they're rooted in shame and pain. They are not rooted in values and authenticity. And that is a really tricky place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really getting clear about what we value and also in terms of being very conscious about when things happen in a way that doesn't feel right in general I think it's about really going back to okay this this is not working it's just really about giving ourselves like what you say the grace and kindness that you know this is the thing yeah. that we can do something about it and, and we we don't need to rush into things like sometimes people tend to like hey I need to solve this I need to fix this I need to do this something quickly it's about allowing that space right recognizing it's a journey and, and it's okay to take time and, and to go gently as you were talking about kindness and compassion, I think so much of that has a lot to do with this idea of short-term versus long-term distress. And short-term distress is this kind of high acuity, everything's super painful and it sucks. I mean, we see this with our kids. So when they're, mm. you know, I want the cookie, I want to at the playground, I don't want to go home, I don't want to go to bed, whatever it is. And as they get older, obviously it gets way more complex. But the short-term distress is this like really intense feeling that they have. And we have a tendency as humans to want to get rid of that as quickly as possible. Yeah. But what that does is we condition, you know, reactions that create long-term distress. Shame works the same way. So in the moment, pretending that you like the music everybody else is listening to, not a big deal. You know, wearing something you don't really like, not speaking up in a room with other moms when maybe you don't agree with what somebody's doing or kind of asserting an opinion, it feels like it's fine in the moment, but the long-term distress is this sort of continual micro erosion of yourself. Yeah. And so I think what, 
what you're describing with that sort of kindness piece, and obviously your whole focus from a curiosity standpoint, is this concept of saying shame's going to want us to choose the option that leads to long-term distress to get rid of that high acuity pain in the moment. Mm. And we have enough data to see that that's not working anymore. Because at Mm. some point, the scales tip in a way that the long-term distress is an accumulation of way worse distress than the short-term burst. And so the short-term burst of just being like, we're not having any more cookies. It's bedtime. We're going to sleep. That sucks to have a temper tantrum. And we know that that's ultimately the the right decision because of the values that we're leaning into, because of how we want to help our kids learn to tolerate their distress, because of all of these pieces. So the flip is now, how do we do that to ourselves? And the curiosity has to go deeper because it's much more of a complex web. It's not just, I'm angry and I'm screaming because I wish that I could have watched TV. It's Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a little subtle erosion of my thoughts. It's a tiny way that I've performed. It's telling myself that I can't wear a two-piece swimsuit anymore because I've had three kids and my belly doesn't look the same. That's shame rather than saying I can wear whatever swimsuit I want to wear. And the high stress, short-term distress I'm going to feel when I put it on and I go out to the beach, yeah, that's going to suck. But I'm not going to tell myself for the rest of my life that my body isn't worthy of wearing a bikini because that long-term distress is a worse experience. Yeah, yeah. It really is what we see, what we hear, what we experience links to how we feel about ourselves and, and you know, how we feel free mm-hmm. to parent in a way. And yeah, I mean, the, the point that you make about our own image, how we think mothers should do and should look like, I think... That's mm-hmm. also linked to shame, especially in this age when, you know, social media and all. And, and I think you are one of the very brave ones that I know who are not on social media. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think, I think <laughs> that's an intentional choice for you as well, right? Which yes. Like, yeah. Into like life and who you want to be and all. I think it's really brave for you to, to mm-hmm. make the decision. And also it's really uh, aligned to what you are, you are trying to do as well in terms of your own journey as a person, as a mother as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so much too is realizing we're, what are all the inputs that we have? So again, if we go back to the definition of shame and how our sense of self develops, it's early childhood. So it's our peers, our caregivers, the communities we grew up in, but then it's also those daily inputs and they can be very rule specific. Like when you go on Instagram or TikTok and you see all these mom videos or all these other things and the pressure you feel there. Or they can be, you know, more global and what we see across the board. And so the point just being that the inputs are ever changing, but they're constantly adding a sense of pressure to us. And that is the mark moving system. That is the, you know, if I can get to this weight, then I'll be okay. Or if if my kid just gets these grades or has this job, then everything will be okay. Well, we hang so much on outcomes that aren't rooted in any basis of joy or fulfillment or connection, they're rooted in externally validated systems or kind of dynamics of success. And so if everything is hanging on what everyone else around you is doing or what the culture the system or the norm has become, you will never feel fulfilled in that chase because you never got clear on who are you and does any of that align for you in the life that you're leading? Yeah, yeah, totally. I definitely see that that is very important oh, to kind of like be very clear on that. How do you think 
mothers in this modern age can enjoy parenting and motherhood better is <laughs> that you feel that based on what you see or what you observe or in terms of like your know, experiences working with your clients, like what do you yeah. think is one thing that you think that they can do? I would say to, yeah, I would say to develop a, a response around kind of what does it look like to forgive ourselves and to create a, a values or like a practice around that. And so thinking mm. about, you know, and I, I can, we can put a link in the show notes too. So there's a video I made that's five things to forgive yourself for right now. And it's based on all the conversations I'm having with people all the time, in particular, a ton of moms around, you know, can you forgive yourself for not being where you thought you would be? So it's, it could even be people listening to this that, you know, well, I only have one kid and I feel like I should have had more, or I haven't had kids or you know, I'm supposed to be working this job and doing these things or my house looks like a mess. And so it's like all these pressures of where you thought you should be and what your life should look like. Mm -hmm. You're holding yourself accountable to a dream that isn't your reality. And probably if we were honest, isn't a reality that we want yeah. based on who we are, you know, and then thinking about things like, can you forgive yourself for letting people down? Because the reality being, unless you are going to be completely robotic and try to be neutral and have absolutely no personality, you are going to let people down. I let my daughter down at least 47 times a day, sometimes very intentional, all on board with the decision I made that we're, you know, taking a nap right now, or you have to go and take a bathroom break and go sit on the potty no matter what. Like, yeah, I, I'm okay with certain ones. And then some of them suck, you know, some of them are like, I missed that she was about to do this thing and she just cut her leg open because, you know, I didn't see something that was happening or I lost my temper a little bit or I just wasn't as kind as I wanted to be. And so can you forgive yourself for that? And that's not just with your kids, but also not living up to the image that everybody thinks you should live up to. Because mm. I think, and I'm, I'm giving a much longer answer, obviously, than what you're asking because you're saying for one thing, but I think in this is this idea, there's a, a term called context versus content. And so oh. it's something talked about a lot in acceptance and commitment therapy, which yeah. is basically rooted in the idea of things are hard. You mm. can't like, you can't make life not have pain. It's how do we want to show up and work within that pain so you don't get mm. stuck there. And one of the, the ideas is to shift from seeing the self as content, which means like the bullet point list, going back to your yeah. checklist point, like, yeah, do I measure up to this? Or here's a bullet point list of all of my failures and my flailings, yeah. or, well, I only met these checkpoints versus seeing the self in context, which means understanding the context of your full life. So when someone's got, you know, let's say a toddler going through a sleep regression and they haven't slept for a week and they snap at their kid because their kid asked for the 13th time that they can have Oreos for breakfast and they say like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose it. Can you pause and put that back in the context of your life and say, yeah, I don't like that that happened. I can give myself grace and forgive myself for that because in the context of my life overall right now, things kind of suck. And then if you do that and you start to see everybody's context, you realize that a TikTok video is content. That's not context. And you start to see that somebody else's beliefs and values, that's content. Yeah. Boiling it down to give you a deliverable in a bullet. So I think 
I'm giving people a long answer, but hopefully it's because you can pick what fits for you. But the idea of, again, finding forgiveness and that really revamping of seeing a full human, because full humans cannot be compared to each other. We can't. We're, we're all too different to see that in any way. Yeah. I love that you mentioned about being human and being full human. I think sometimes we tend to compare so much that we forget that everyone is so unique and our circumstances and our lived experience are so unique. And it's really about embracing that good enoughness and really about mm -hmm. knowing that we have our unique set of values. It's really about owning that and owning that mm -hmm. identity that we have. And it's hard, it's hard work. But it's about really being conscious and, and curious mm -hmm. at the different points of our situations in our lives, in our parenting. And it can be really challenging, especially like high stress periods. Like like for me, in my first month of the second born joined our family, it was crazy mm -hmm. stressful. I mean, like <laughs> my, my first one was just out of norm. He was just crazily pushing buttons, boundaries, every single thing you can think of. He's doing it. He's just not himself. And mm -hmm. I, I am postpartum and, you know, going through that whole hormones overage kind of mm -hmm. feeling. And it's really hard to be mindful and present. But I think what I was trying to tell myself is to, to know that this is the season that, that's going to be like that. And I, I was mentally prepared that this is going to happen, but it, it it was way more intensive than I thought. But it's just really about giving myself that grace and just telling myself that this is the period that it will be like that and not shaming myself, feeling that, okay, I'm just doing a shitty job. I'm a shitty mother. Yeah. You know, not, not doing the yeah. best and all. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's really about like what you mentioned, giving ourselves the acceptance and knowing that we are doing what we can. Yeah, and forgiving ourselves, definitely. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, I mean, even if you think back to your life and like the things that you didn't get as a child or we think about, you know, when we have certain feelings, I don't ever, I never expected perfection from anybody. A lot of the times when I have pain, it's because I didn't feel seen. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like I got the space to be present. And I think that that is something, if we can translate that to, you know, again, going back specifically to our role as moms, but in our roles in so many ways, our kids don't need us to be perfect. In fact, they don't, they don't give a shit if we're perfect. Like they don't care. Yeah. They just want to feel seen and they need the genuine connection. And so when I do have those moments, we sit and talk about it. And I joke because as being a therapist, I feel like when my daughter gets older, she's going to be like, mom, do we have to process another emotion? <laughs> like, I get it. Because we talk about them all the time. But I think that is the piece where at the end of the day, she doesn't need me to never screw up. She just needs to feel seen in those moments and to have me be able to be vulnerable so she can feel like she can be vulnerable to get that feeling of being seen. Mm -hmm. And so I think, Again, humans, we have intellectualized everything. Everything is about, we try to logic through life and get to these bullet point pieces. We are emotional beings. We connect and we thrive and we feel that sense of fulfillment in our emotions. And so what does that look like to bring all of that back in center and say, I don't need to be perfect. That's this part of my brain. That's the logic side. 
I just need to be a being that has a full spectrum of experience and existence and to explore that openly. Yeah, yeah. Definitely the full spectrum of emotion experience is very important. Yeah. I think just really owning that experience as a human and there's no good or bad emotions. It's just what it is. And when we have a bad day, it is what it is. It's just not inspiring us into that whole shame and guilt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Great. So if people would like to connect with you to know more about your work, where is the place to get to know more about you? Yeah. Well, I love that you kind of pointed it out because yes, it was a very intentional decision to get off social media. And so now pretty much it's easy just coming to my website. So it's adversityrising.com. They can visit me there. You can sign up for my email list if you want to get content. Otherwise, just clicking the connect button and sending me an email. I think one of the things that happens is people might want to connect and they go, I don't know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. And I feel like I quote unquote should know where to start and what to do. So then they just don't say anything because that's shame playing out when they go <laughs> look at my website or look at anybody's website or listen to podcasts. You go, I don't know where to start. I don't know how it's helpful. Okay, I'm going to just put it away. And so I think my invitation to people is to go to my website. If something resonated, email me and let me help navigate that conversation for people of kind of where to begin, what to do and kind of go from there. Yeah, I have to say that I love the way you write your emails though. Like it's very oh, thank you. <laughs> and it's very clear and it's very thoughtful. I feel that you have put a lot of thoughts around what you want to share and in terms of yeah. like like what you're reading, what you're thinking about and all. I think it's very it's it's, it's very nice to read and, and know um, what exactly you are as a person. Um, and, yeah. That's so kind of you. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of tough decisions and decisions I've had to, I mean, when my daughter was born and the pandemic hit and you're a business owner, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, shame like brought a shitstorm with it. And so then it's just really navigating, you know, the question I ask myself every day is who and what do I want to be held accountable to and what's the impact I want to have in the world. So when I do anything now, it's realizing I'm always going to have someone that says, well, you should post on TikTok. You could be seen here. You should do these things. And it's like, yeah, I'd probably be super great, but it doesn't serve my greater purpose and it doesn't help me stay accountable to the things that are important. And because I did that, yeah. I can give energy to spend a few hours sitting down to write an email that comes out every couple of weeks because I want to, I can craft what I want to say. And I'm talking to people that are making a choice to be there, not happening upon it on social media. And so it becomes, again, a much more intentional connection point. So I just, I really appreciate the fact that that resonated and that you shared that, like that warms my heart more than you know. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much, Kira, for sharing. Yeah. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's really a lot of the things that I truly believe in terms of motherhood entity and about shame and guilt and I think it's so important to hear also from a person who is a licensed therapist who is been through a lot of journey personally and professionally as well so really appreciate your insights and your sharing of course thank you again for having me thank you if you'd like to further the conversation with me do connect with me at instagram at the curious mama or subscribe to my newsletter where I will share a bit more about resources relating to this topic as well and if you like to show your love for this podcast please leave a rating on apple Podcasts. this will really mean a lot to me till then take care and 
remember that you are enough and keep on making magic in your unique way.